Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit this morning. I've been calling the series Manifest, and the reason is, is there is this concept in Scripture of the manifest presence of God. When you think about what manifest means, it means to display or to show either by an appearance or by a demonstration. So literally that would be to appear in front of or it would be to give a demonstration of yourself in some way. That's what it means to manifest. I'm reminded of this in John chapter three, uh, verse eight, it says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone that is born of the spirit. Kind of a way of looking at it, I was thinking of C.S. Lewis uh, when he was talking about Aslan, and Aslan is, is obviously a symbol of Jesus in the Chronicles of Narnia, and there's this question you know, about Aslan, and the way that he describes it is he says, he is, he is not tame, but he is good. And it reminds me of this when I read John chapter three, verse eight. There's just something about the work of the Holy Spirit that is not tame, but it is good. It is the natural kind of outflow of somebody that is really tapped in to the work of God in their heart and in their life. There's an old example that might help this bring to bear on why the Holy Spirit is so important. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, reminded of this, and it's just imagine a glove. There's, when you think about a glove, there's nothing that the glove can actually do by itself, but when the hand is actually put in it, the glove can do a lot of things. Uh, It's not the glove, but my hand in the glove that's actually doing the acting. So to speak, the Christian, we're just the glove. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's the hand that's doing the work through us. But we gotta make room for the hand so that every finger in the glove is filled up and ready for a good work. That is a great way of understanding the picture of what God wants to do through a spirit-filled person. When you look in scripture, one of the passages that really just bounces out in in terms of of the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. It's a famous passage, and I want to share a few thoughts from it this morning that we can glean, and hopefully we can actually put to good use in our own heart and our own life. Just so you know, when it comes to Pentecost, the word uh, really just means 50 days after Passover. That's where it comes from. Uh, If you go back into the Old Testament, there was even a a practice that was common, Uh, and it had to do with the beginning of the harvest season. Every adult male would eventually go into Jerusalem, and they would celebrate what God is going to be doing through the harvest. That's where this is born from. In the New Testament, it's talking about a Holy Spirit filling the church with power in the day of Pentecost, adding 3,000 people to the number of believers. That would be an impressive thing to witness, don't you think? It's all through the work of the Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, let's take a look at Acts chapter two. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And then suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were staying They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is a moment I can imagine that if you were there would probably arrest your attention, don't you think? It's something like they had not really seen before. When you think of what's happening here, and I love what Tony Evans said, he says, you can have fire without wind and you can have wind without fire, but when you have both, it's hard to control. 
This is what's happening in Acts chapter two. I would love for something like that to happen today. How about you? But I also, as I give you that, I also want you to understand the responsibility of the believers in making something like this come about. Because when Pentecost happened, it was an unmistakable movement of God in the hearts of the people. The beginning of the church, which is this moment right here in Acts chapter 2, is the beginning of the church. And notice what's happening here. It is a work of God. It was not primarily a program-based event. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with programs. Churches can have them, and God can do tremendous things through them. But what you don't want is a program without the Holy Spirit being abundant in the hearts of the believers that are filling the church. You don't want that. This was a genuine movement of God based on the movement of the Holy Spirit in the people who were there and ready and giving themselves over to the work of God. So when you think about this, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is what it takes to change the hearts of people and not just right doctrine. Did everybody hear what I just said? I've been reading this book with our staff called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It came out in the late 90s, Jim Cimbala, who went and uh, pastored the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he was talking about this time in his life as he takes over the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And it was a, it was a mess. You know, 20-something people in the church it was absolutely going nowhere. Um, he had kind of come to the end of himself in it and was thinking about even leaving ministry it, to the point that he had physically gotten so sick that after six weeks, he's like, I got to a point where I couldn't even talk anymore. And eventually his parents were like, you just need to go take a break. And he goes down to Florida, not because Florida's special or anything, but he goes to Florida and he gets away from all the noise. And while he's there, he said, that was when I was actually able to hear the voice of God for what he wanted for the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And it was this, you people need to pray. You need to pray. And so he started a Tuesday night prayer meeting, which is still going to this day. The book came out in the end of the 90s. It had already been going. And you would like to think, Wow, I mean, what an amazing thing. And he goes back to the 20-whatever people that were there as a part of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and he says, I heard from the Lord, and this is what we need to do. And you would love to think, and at that time, they all go, yes. No, actually, some left the church, which is normal. Some people walked out, but he pressed on with what God had called him to do in leading the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And it was to open up the doors and give God the freedom to do something through his church that comes through the, the power of prayer and the people of God calling out to God to do something. Next thing you know, you look at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, after some time, he said, it's not like the church grew overnight. It wasn't anything like that. But instead, on a Tuesday night, the doors open up, and it's not uncommon to see a line of people in New York waiting to get in there so that somebody can pray over them. That is a movement of God that we need to see more of, don't you think? That's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, changing people's hearts. It's not just right doctrine. Hear what I'm saying. Right doctrine really matters. But you can have everything locked in your head and absolutely no flow of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need doctrine and you need power. You need both. I'm reminded of this. The apostles prayed for God to do supernatural things in Hebrews 2.4. When is the last time you prayed that God would do a supernatural thing through you? Here's, here's what it said. It said at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. 
They were praying to do something, do something supernatural, a work that is unmistakably you. And that meant they had to open themselves up to partner with him to be used like that so that people could see the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit and the people of God. The key, please remember this, is right thinking, it's doctrine, and power. It's gotta be both. You worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Both, both. Question, when is the last time that you have ever asked God to do something like that through you? Notice what happened before all of this. In Acts chapter one, before Pentecost, it says Jesus, before his ascension, told them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did, did you catch that? It's like, wait. They had to wait for God's presence. Remember the work of the Holy Spirit is to make the truth of God evident in the life of the people of God. To make the truth of God evident in the life of the people of God. Uh, part of what it is that makes the gospel so attractive to people is when they actually see people that say that they are followers of Jesus, following Jesus, and the resulting change that actually flows out of their life. It's the practical things that people see in the power of God to change the hearts of people. He said, wait. I'm reminded of this. A friend of mine is Robbie Gallaty. He pastors up in Tennessee. And uh, just really just a couple of years ago, the church up there, they, they get national attention because there was a genuine revival that broke out in his church. The funny thing is, is you know, Robbie was like, it's not like we said, and on Tuesday night, we're gonna start a revival. It wasn't anything like that. He said, instead, it was something else that was much more subtle, but he said, but I found to be one of the most important things that I had ever done in my life. And it was that every night I went outside, away from the wife, away from the kids, away from the day, and I just spent time talking with God. Just talking with God. This is, he said, this is not the same thing as my time in, in the word with God. It was my time just talking honestly with God. He said, I got to a point where at least, at least an hour I'm sitting out there so that I could talk and I could listen. And after about 10 months or so of him doing that, all of a sudden, he said, it was like the gates of heaven just boom, opened up. And all these people started pouring into the church. And they were doing it so that they could confess and they could repent. You had people that had been believers that at, at best were kind of nominal in their faith, hardly ever at the church, absolutely doing nothing with the work of the church, coming back in and saying, it's time to get my life back in line with God. You had people coming into a prayer meet, spontaneous prayer meetings that were happening, people walking into the church on a Tuesday morning saying, I've just given my life to the Lord. I'm ready to be baptized right now. Thousands of people, all because of the manifest presence of the work of God in the people of God. Wouldn't you want something like that here? When, when you think about it with the Holy Spirit, two things, one, for the unbeliever, and that might be you today, maybe you're a person that's here and you don't believe in Jesus. Don't underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart today. Because according to 2 Corinthians 7.10, part of what the Holy Spirit does is it brings us to the conviction of sin. It says, for the, the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Did you catch that there are two types of sorrow in that verse? One of those is, is that there's just a genuine brokenness because you know you've got sin in your heart. Like, it just, it hurts you. It hurts you to know that you've hurt God. That's a kind of sorrow. 
that actually brings you to repentance. I'm not doing this to you anymore. There's another kind of sorrow. It reminds me kind of uh, like Judas, maybe. If you remember, with Judas, he betrays Jesus. The, the gospels actually say that Judas was sorrowful for what he had done, except the sorrow that he had there, you might could look at it like this, kind of sorry that he got caught. Do you see a difference between the two? One type of sorrow is going to bring a genuine regret because you know that you've harmed your relationship with God. The other kind of sorrow is you're just sad for yourself. One of these, it says, actually leads to death because it doesn't lead you to God. It leads you deeper into yourself. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. For the believer, hear what I'm saying. you. Part of what the Holy Spirit is here to do is to bring change and to change you into the image of Jesus. This is why we exist as Woodridge, is we want every single person here and in this community to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's why we exist. Nothing more and nothing less. And we believe that that happens in three main ways. We delight in Christ. That means that we are committed to being together and to worshiping him together. We develop into his image which means day by day there are parts of us and more parts of us that are dying off that have to go and there's more of his life that's naturally flowing out of us. And then third, we're devoted to the Great Commission, literally to going into the nations and making disciples. That's why we exist. That's, that's what we're here for. And for the believer, I'm just saying this, if you don't see the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in a church, think people coming to salvation, believers growing deeper in their faith, it is likely because whatever's happening in that group of people is blocking the work of the Holy Spirit in that church. There's your why. There's your why. You can have churches that are as orthodox as all get out in terms of their doctrine and absolutely empty because they have no power flowing in the hearts of the people. I'm reminded of this in Acts chapter two because this is the second thing that we see before Pentecost uh, or, or in, the, in the passage on Pentecost. In part two, it says, they were all together. They were all together. Look, look at Acts uh, 2.44. That's where we get it. They were seeking the same thing. They were pointed in the same direction. I, I, I do want to say this. There are legitimate causes for disunity in a church. There are some things that we'd be like, you know, that, that's just not going to happen here. For example, false doctrine. Or just permitting sin to flourish in a church. We, we shouldn't be allowing those kinds of things. That's part of why we're here, is to help hold each other accountable. So strongholds of sin don't exist in our hearts and in our church. That's part of why we're here. I get it. But there's a lot of stuff we just need to learn to get over. Oh, no, you stop it. God doesn't care about it. Why do you care about it so much? And when you think about it, if you do not see the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the church, likely this is part of what is blocking the flow of the power in the church. They knew why they existed in the first place. Do you, do you know a company that knows why they exist? Chick-fil-A. First of all, they're closed today, and so you're getting your Jesus chicken today. You might can go get that tomorrow. But you know what you don't do? You don't go to Chick-fil-A and ask for a hamburger, do you? You know what they do there? Chicken. Actually, relatively simple chicken from what I can tell. You know, it's a chicken with a bun and a couple of pickles on it. For those of you that are pickle people, right? But you don't walk in and order a hamburger at Chick-fil-A. They're going to tell you you're going to have to go somewhere else. They know why they exist. Don't forget why the church exists. Don't forget why the church exists. Tony Evans said it like this. He's a, in quoting Ephesians 4.23, preserve the unity of the spirit. We have to work on that. 
We have to work to preserve the unity of the spirit. He said, but if you don't preserve unity, you won't have the presence of God. If you don't have the presence of God, you don't have the power of God. If you don't have the power of God, you will see no transformation happening in that church. And he's right. John Bloom gave this example and I thought it was spot on. Superman, there he is. This guy never misses leg day. Actually, I'm not really sure that he ever has to lift. I think he's just naturally like this. This guy is virtually unstoppable. Virtually unstoppable. Almost. But I think everybody in this room, maybe, knows something that can stop him. What is it? Kryptonite. Did somebody get it wrong over here to my left? (sighs) Anyway, almost unstoppable. Nothing on earth, I just want you to hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Nothing on earth is more powerful than the Holy Spirit throwing through the the faith of a born-again disciple of Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than that. It's nothing. It's the greatest superpower available to anyone, anywhere. I hope that you hear that. Through faith, Matthew 17, 20, through faith, nothing is impossible. I I hope that you hear that. And so when a Christian is full of spirit-empowered faith, he cannot stop and he cannot be stopped. I love two things that scripture talks about in Acts 4, 23. They were witnessing not just Pentecost, but all of a sudden they're being persecuted. No surprise there. But even in the midst of their persecution, they said this in Acts 4, 23, we still couldn't stop talking about what we had seen and heard. Couldn't stop talking about it. When's the last time that you can say that you had that kind of encounter with the power of God and his Holy Spirit through the work that you've seen manifest around you? We couldn't stop talking about it. Here's another thing. In in Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and pay attention to the last part. It says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that has been so filled with the Holy Spirit in their life that even though they are dead, we are still talking about the work of those people for the kingdom of God? That's what God wants for his church. Though you're dead, you're still talking. That kind of witness of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this means that nothing is more humanly destructive to the domain of darkness than a faith-filled Christian. There is nothing. Through him, Jesus destroys the devil's works, 1 John 3, 8, which is exactly what the church should be about. Breaking the stronghold of sin, setting people free. This image in scripture of we are captives, we were slaves, now we're free. We should be about that work. And this is why Satan's primary goal, if you think about it, is to break a church down from the inside, picking it apart person to person so that that work can't come about. Preserve the unity of the fellowship. Preserve the unity of the fellowship. See, the faith of a Christian is God's chosen channel to bring his saving work, his sanctifying work, his strengthening, his healing, and his delivering grace to the world. It is supposed to be this kind of place. So I point this out, and I, and I really hope that you hear the heart behind it because it's a good heart. Some don't have much to talk about regarding the supernatural work of God because they haven't experienced the supernatural work of God because they're not participating in the presence and the work of God. And I'm not saying that's you. 
I'm asking you to ask yourself this morning, is that me? I'm asking you to ask that. So we have this challenge, church, and I'm gonna give this one to the believers first. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. If the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is this important, one of the things you need to keep in mind is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Quench, when you think about it, means to put out a fire. You can have this fire, this imagery in Acts chapter two of God doing supernatural things and us walking with a bucket of water and going, and just pouring it out. It says don't, don't do it. Ephesians 4.30 tells us don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And we grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul goes on to say, by living like pagans, by basically just being liars, by being angry, by stealing, by being bitter, by being an unforgiving person, by investing in sexual immorality. Paul says all of these things and more literally grieves the spirit of God and blocks the flow of the power of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. I love this, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, who had a huge impact for Christianity. He was just starting his ministry. He heard a preacher make this statement. The world has yet to see what God can do with one man fully surrendered to him. And then Moody that night stood up and he said, well then by God's grace, I'm gonna be that man. Every one of us should stand up and say that unless you're a woman, and then stand up and say, by God's grace, I'll be that woman. Everyone should be willing to take up that mantle. That's our challenge this morning. And so I'll give you this in conclusion, because this part might be for you that's a skeptic. This part might be for you that came in here and you're not a believer. All of the promises that we've talked about of the Holy Spirit only belong to those people that have claimed Jesus for themselves. It's only for people that have claimed Jesus for themselves. The the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit comes when you give yourself to Jesus Christ. For all who did receive him, John 1 says, he gave the right to be a child of God for all who received him. I'm encouraging you this morning not to continue to walk in your brokenness. Don't walk in your brokenness. Part of what it is that we believe, only a part, but it's probably the most important part of what we believe as a church, is that though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every single person in this place, every single person that is a member of this church is here, not because we think we've got our act together, but precisely because we know we don't have our act together. That is why we are here. It is why we keep coming back to Jesus. It is why we worship him, is we need more of him, more of him, less of us. But this beauty of a substitute, what would you be willing to do if you saw someone a child or a best friend that you knew was walking a path that was actually going to lead to their own destruction. I can tell you how Jesus responded to this, is that while he looked at the cross and he knew that there was death that was there that was, that was awaiting him, he saw you as worth it. I don't know a deeper love than that, do you? I don't. And I love what John Stott said about it. He said, the concept of a substitution, that's Jesus taking my place in your place, He said, the concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belongs to man alone. That 
is the gospel. And so for every waking day, for every waking moment that you have, you have the opportunity to respond. For the believer, the response might be to reclaim something that you have walked away from. And literally for too long, you have blocked the flow of the power of the spirit of God in your life. Maybe you can follow the wisdom of Joshua as for today, me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Today can be a day of decision for you. But for the unbeliever, we've prayed today would be the day of your salvation. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.